hide and seek, but let's get you ready for our newest series. church. Happy Sunday. All of you joining us at our online location, we're very glad you're here. Much love to you and then to our Hokessen church family, that location as well. We love you. Newark, help me show some big love. Come on to all of our locations. Yeah. Give it up. Man, I'm so grateful. That's not just a play on the series we're starting, but just so grateful for what God's doing in our community of faith. And if you're a guest with us, a big welcome to you. Very glad you're here. You chose a great weekend to gather with us because we're starting a four-week series called Gratitude Adjustment. And uh, I want to encourage you to come back every week of the series. You've already got one down, so just keep coming back. And as we jump in today, I want to do a quick poll, all right? How many of us, when we were little, like real little, had to have an adult remind us to say thank you? Don't be shy. Just raise your hand in the room here. Hokessin, raise your hand online. Let us know. Had to have an adult remind you to say thank you. Happened to me on the regular after I'd been handed a dollar or maybe a scoop of ice cream or had opened a Christmas present. Uh, one of my parents would, would say, I would hear the familiar words as my mom, especially. She would say, now, what do you say? Remember those words? Now, what do you say? And I knew what to say. I knew what I was supposed to say. So the question is, why hadn't I said it yet? And I think as I look back, it was pretty simple. I didn't want a dollar. I wanted $5, and I didn't want to give the person giving me a dollar the impression that I was too grateful because I really would like $5. I was not interested in one scoop of ice cream. I wanted two scoops of ice cream. And just so you know, when it comes to Christmas, socks are not every five-year-old's dream. Thank you, Grandma. So whatever our experience with church, when we think about this gratitude thing and what it has to do with God and faith, we might find ourselves with conflicting emotions or thoughts around this, because even though God has given us some good things, he's also handed us some things we think that are not so good, right? And there are probably things in our lives that we want, we desire, maybe we've been desiring for a long time that God hasn't provided or he hasn't provided yet. And at the same time, some part of us knows we're conflicted, we're, we don't have everything we desire yet, but some part of us knows that thank you can be powerful words. So what does gratitude really have to do with faith in God? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to discover whatever our age or background or circumstances and wherever we are spiritually, the strong connection between gratitude and faith and the difference that gratitude can actually make in our everyday lives, the surprising benefits that will show up in our relationships, in our health, in our finances, and especially in our faith, in our spiritual life, 
when we experience a gratitude adjustment. So let's get started. Week one of the series, we're going to look at one of the biographies of Jesus' life in the New Testament of the Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry. And in the book of Luke, we read about a moment that paints a picture, a powerful picture of gratitude. Here's how it begins. Luke writes, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem. Now let me pause for a moment and say the timing of this is significant because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which is where he will be arrested and then crucified. He's going to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world at the time that we know as uh, Easter, which we're about to uh, remember and celebrate in just a few weeks. So we're kind of in a similar timing with Luke as he writes this even right now in our calendar. Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem, and he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Galilee was a Jewish territory, Jewish area. Samaria was an area where there were people who were partly Jewish and partly from other uh, ethnicities and backgrounds. And to be honest, the two different areas really didn't get along. The Jewish people kind of looked down on the Samaritans, and the Samaritans were not all that fond of the Jewish people. So Jesus reaches the border, and that's where you'll often find him, by the way. That's where you'll often find Jesus, on the border, reaching out to people who don't like each other very much, trying to help people understand that we have maybe in our humanity more in common than we realize, and if we would look to him, we could find the hope we need. That's for free. It has nothing to do with the series. Just throwing it out there. But he's on the border between people who wish that everything would go back to the way it used to be and people who are hoping for something new. He's on the border between Republicans and Democrats. He's right there on the border. All right, let's continue. That's not what you came for. It's gratitude adjustment. Here we go. As he entered a village there, so he's on the border, he enters this village. Ten men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So Jesus comes upon this little village, and standing at a distance are 10 men who are sick with leprosy. And here's what you need to know about leprosy. It's a skin disease, and the symptoms are pretty obvious. It's not something you can hide. It's not something you can really pretend that you don't have or you're not struggling with. It causes lesions that appear all over your body, and it's contagious. It's disfiguring. It can even be disabling and eventually deadly. Now, in our times, there's a cure for leprosy. But when this was written, there was no cure. So people who had leprosy had to quarantine from the rest of society. Anybody know anything about quarantine? So they were on like permanent lockdown from the rest of society. And if they went out in public and someone came too close, they had a moral responsibility to yell out, unclean, unclean, to let everybody know there's something really wrong with me. You don't want it to be wrong with you too, so don't come any closer, closer. That's why these men stand at a distance from Jesus. Can I tell you, when I first experienced Jesus in a real way for myself, I felt exactly the same way as these 10 men. Now, I didn't have leprosy, but Jesus seemed so holy and so perfect. And I was well aware of how unholy and imperfect I was. And I felt like I just needed to keep my distance. You know, Jesus is for good people, Jesus is for religious people. Jesus is for people who keep their noses clean, who, who do the right thing, who have a good track record. He's not for someone like me. And maybe you've felt that way. Maybe you've felt like you have to stand at a distance. Maybe you've even wondered, how could someone as holy and perfect as God love someone as imperfect, maybe even broken and sinful 
as you. Even those of us who followed Jesus for a while have moments in our lives when we, we feel like, maybe, maybe I need to keep my distance from Jesus. I'm not really living up to his, his desires for me, and I've got these areas of brokenness in my life and temptation and struggle. And you may be new to this idea. This may freak you out a little bit, but if you're new to following Jesus, let me just tell you that you actually have a spiritual enemy who will whisper that stuff to you. He will tell you when you mess up, when you feel inferior, when you feel like you don't have your act together, that what you need to do is put some distance between you and Jesus, when the truth is what you need to do is run to Jesus as fast as you can. And we started this church, the heart behind the journey. If you want to know what this community of faith is all about, we started this church to help real people get close to Jesus, especially those of us who've always felt like we had to keep our distance. And so these guys know they're sick, they know what they're supposed to do, so they stand at a distance and they cry out to Jesus and they ask for mercy. They, they ask for him to have pity on them and their situation. And what's interesting about this is that Luke, who writes about it, was a doctor. It's probably why this stood out to him. In fact, this is one of those experiences and encounters that Jesus had that we only read about in the book of Luke. Luke was especially interested in what happened in this moment because he had spent his life uh, developing his, his skills and becoming a doctor before he started following Jesus. And so he's really interested in what's going on because he knows about leprosy. He knows there's no cure. He knows people don't recover. They certainly uh, don't instantly recover. Nothing like that has ever happened. And so he writes about this and he says, these 10 men cry out to Jesus for mercy. And then Luke writes, here's what Jesus did in response. He looked at them. Now, that may not mean much to us, but it would have meant the world to these guys because nobody ever looked at them. Nobody ever made eye contact. They were used to people looking anywhere but at them. They were used to people looking away, looking past, trying to figure out how to put as much distance as possible between them. They were, they were used to all of that. They were not used to somebody making eye contact with them and holding their gaze. But Jesus looked at them. When I was in high school, I used to feel invisible a lot of the time. I don't know how many students maybe here today or watching right now uh, can relate I wasn't very athletic. I know it's shocking. You look at me now and you think, I mean, look how far you've come. Not sure why you're laughing, but um, baggy clothes help. Um, so wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very athletic, was not especially talented at anything. I didn't have like kind of a thing, you know, that I was really good at. I wasn't really very popular. I wasn't at the bottom, but I wasn't anywhere near the top. You know what I mean? I was just kind of in that like... 30th percentile in high school. Uh, I had ADD, and so I couldn't focus. I didn't get good grades, so the teachers didn't like me. And uh, not only that, but um, I went to a high school where there were a lot of kids who came from like middle and upper middle class families, and that was not our family story. We weren't poor, but we were, you know, like a notch or two removed from that. And so I was constantly surrounded by reminders that I didn't measure up. And uh, in ninth grade, I got in trouble constantly because I was always, I didn't start in ninth grade. I, I got in lots of trouble in middle school too, but I figured we'd limit it to ninth grade for the purposes of this message. 
I was constantly trying to get people to notice me. I just, I really had this desperate desire to be noticed. And unfortunately, usually backfired. I would get kicked out of class. I got suspended in ninth grade. Uh, eventually, I've, I figured out the way to stop. I, the solution to getting kicked out of class was just to skip class. So I started skipping class, a great way to not get kicked out of class. Just kidding. <laughs> not a good solution, but I, I think I skipped 33 or 34 days of, of ninth grade. And I was just, I was just, I needed to be noticed. And all of that was before I found Jesus. Now, when I found Jesus, and, and by the way, when we talk about finding Jesus, we don't mean that he's lost, <laughs> but we mean that we become aware that he's been looking at us the whole time. And when I became aware that Jesus was, the, was what I needed in my life, was the solution to the biggest problem I had, which was this feeling of disconnection from God and from the world around me and not knowing who I was, things began to change. Now, finding Jesus did not fix all of my problems, but I, over time, stopped needing to be noticed as much because I realized that I was finally noticed by the only person that I really needed to notice me. Jesus noticed me. And to be honest, I wish I could say, so from then on, you know, from 14 years old on, 15 years old on, I was just good, I, I never felt invisible again, but that's not true. I still have times in my life when I feel invisible. Anybody just want to be gutsy and say you do as well? Just show of hands, like four of us, you know, there's some pity hands being raised. Like, I don't, but I don't want you to feel dumb, so <laughs> let me raise my hand, you know. You know, when I feel invisible... When I forget that Jesus is looking at me because I've stopped looking to him and I've started looking to someone or something else to give me what only he can give me. That's when I begin to feel invisible. I start looking at you and I need your affirmation or I start looking at somebody I look up to and I need their affirmation or I start looking at some measure of success and I think that's what I need to be secure and to be fulfilled and all of a sudden I become invisible and insecure. Why? Because I'm looking at something or someone that can't fulfill me. A lot of us are looking at someone who is looking at someone else, who is looking at someone else, who is looking at someone else. But if we would turn around and look to Jesus, we would notice he only has eyes for us. He's looking right at us. And Jesus looks at these 10 men and we get the sense that when he does, he sees it all, but he isn't disgusted. He isn't uncomfortable or uneasy. It must have been so disconcerting, so, so strange to them to have someone make eye contact with them and to only see love and acceptance in his eyes. They'd never seen that before. And he looks right at them and he's not trying to cross to the other side of the street. He's not trying to get away like everybody else always has. Did you know that that's how Jesus is looking at you? I was praying for this weekend. I do this every week. As I'm preparing to preach, I ask God, what do people need most from you this week, God? And I felt like God spoke to me so clearly and said one word, compassion. Compassion. You need to know that Jesus is looking at you with compassion. He is not dismayed by what disfigures you. Even if you feel so broken, he is looking at you with compassion. Even if you feel like everybody else looks away, Jesus isn't looking away. And his eyes are full of love and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy. In fact, even if you brag about how much you don't need compassion because you're such a stud and you just own the world and you've got everything figured out, Jesus is still looking at you with the same compassion. 
love and acceptance, the purpose you've been looking for. You say, well, why don't I feel it? Because you're looking everywhere but at him. You're looking at a parent who doesn't seem to realize how lonely you are this year in school. You're looking at a spouse who doesn't see how hard you're working on the relationship. You're looking at a friend who doesn't care about what you're struggling with. You're looking at an employer who doesn't get your backstory. You're looking everywhere except at Jesus, but Jesus is looking only at you. And he sees you just the way you are, and he has compassion to offer you. By the way, the heart of our church, we have this, we have this God-sized dream here. If you've come to one of our physical locations, you've seen the Journey City map. We talk about that 30-mile radius around our, our broadcast location in Newark. 1.8 million people live in that circle, and we're not going to stop proclaiming Jesus until everyone knows that he sees them and that we see them too. So Jesus looked at them, and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. So he's about, remember, he's going to Jerusalem. He's about to go to the cross. He's going to die for our sins. He's going to take the penalty of our sins upon himself. He's going to fulfill the law because it was the law that said if you had leprosy, started to get better, you go to the priest. The priest would examine you, and the priest could declare you clean. So Jesus says, haven't gone to the cross yet, so you still got to go to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. It's a miracle. Jesus speaks a word into their lives. And they're healed as they go. It's a big step of faith when you think about it, to start walking before the healing has shown up. And that is still how God works. He asks us to take steps of faith, and as we go, he works in our lives. Some of us want God to do a miracle or open a door or create an opportunity or take care of a problem before we take a step of faith. But we need to realize that our go comes before seeing his goodness. And he calls us to take steps of faith. Did you know we can miss out on everything that God has for us because we're sitting around waiting for God to do it and he's waiting for us to take a step in the direction he instructed us to go? You know who gets healed? People who start walking before the healing has shown up yet. People who say, Jesus, I have enough faith in you that I don't have to see all the evidence to take the next step that you've called me to take in my life. And for some of us, maybe we want God to speak to us, but we're not consistently putting ourselves in an environment where we can listen. And God is saying, take the step. We want God to provide, but we've stopped praying. And God is saying, take the step. We want God to bless us with more, but we're not giving our first. And God is saying, take the step. For some of us, it's time to go. It's time to put our faith in motion. Maybe for you today, that means coming to Plugged In, taking a step to get connected to a community of faith. You've heard us talk about it, but, but maybe you've kind of sat on the sidelines and you've been just an observer and, and you've just been on the, on the fringes of what God is doing. And God is saying, I've got more for your life, but the healing happens as you go. The healing happens as you take steps. The healing happens as you decide to take me at my word. Maybe for some of you, God's been calling you into a deeper relationship with him. He's calling you to spend more time in his word and his prayer, but you keep coming up with reasons why you can't do that, and you want more of God in your life, and he's saying, I've created the opportunity. You just got to show up for it. Take a step. Healing happens as you go. I am a living testimony that most of the things I have wanted God God to do in my life required quite a few steps before they happened. Yeah. Healing happens as you go. 
It happens as you go. Jesus looks at these 10 men. He tells them to go by faith, and as they do, they are healed. Great story, great message. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. But this is a series about gratitude, and the story isn't over yet. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And by the way, he was one of those Samaritans. He was one of the non-religious people. He was one of the people who weren't supposed to understand what God was all about, who didn't grow up in church, who didn't have all the right religious answers. But he came back to thank God. So 10 get healed, one remembers his manners. Now what do you say? You know what gratitude is? Here's a simple definition. Gratitude is coming back to God. Gratitude is when God does anything in our lives. Instead of just continuing on, we pause, we turn around, we fall at the feet of Jesus, and we say thank you. It's gratitude. And this guy doesn't do it quietly, by the way. He comes back shouting. He's making noise, man. He falls at Jesus' feet saying thank you. No one has to remind him, Kevin, what do you say? I just decided when I was writing this message, his name was Kevin. I have no, that's not in the original Greek. No one has to tell him. No one has to be like, hey, don't embarrass me. He sees that God has started something in his life. The priest hasn't even confirmed it yet. But he just sees that God has started something in his life, and he doesn't wait. He comes back. That's gratitude. Gratitude is coming back in any relationship. Gratitude is coming back to the server at the restaurant and saying, thank you so much for taking care of our table tonight. Gratitude is coming back to your parents and saying, thank you for buying me those new shoes. You're welcome, parents. Gratitude is coming back to your spouse and saying, thank you for hugging me after we fought and for still being here after everything we've been through. Gratitude is coming back to your J-group leader and saying, thank you for listening to me. Let me ask you a question today. Are you the kind of person who comes back or are you the kind of person who keeps walking taking for granted what God has done in your life what people that God has sent into your life sometimes God does things in your life sometimes God sends people into your life to do things in your life and at the end of the day it's all God so do you come back I talked to a guy last week in his 60s who just found Jesus a few years ago after living a life Far from God, all those years, he finally had this awakening in his life, and he put his faith in Jesus. And can I tell you, he is so grateful. He gets emotional every time he talks about his faith, which is every three minutes. And he just keeps coming back to Jesus because he's so grateful that God has been so good to him after all those years when he ignored God. So he just keeps coming back to say Thank you. Gratitude is coming back to God. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit that I was a take-it-for-granted person for a lot of years. With God and with people. Now, when people would do kind things for me, I might say thank you, but I really wasn't very intentional about it. I didn't come back 
But a few years ago, something started happening in my life. I got around people who model this, who live this out, who live grateful lives, people that I look up to, and something started changing in me. I started learning to express my gratitude more consistently, more meaningfully, and it's a funny thing. I've had more blessings in my life since then. More opportunities open up, more doors that have swung open that have to do with dreams that God has given me for my life. I have more joy, I have more peace, I have more hope, I have more expectation. Can I tell you, I am a reformed pessimist, everybody. Like, I used to be able to tell you, at a moment's notice, the 13 things that were wrong and the 17 that were about to go wrong. And I could still do it if I wanted to, but I choose, by the grace of God, to live a more grateful life. You know what I needed? A gratitude adjustment. My spiritual spine had gotten misaligned, and I needed to go to the chiropractor and have him just crack me back into place. Come on, somebody, that's good, and it just hit me in the moment, so you. Some of you are like, I don't like the chiropractor. I know, that's why you're ungrateful. If you'd go, he'd <laughs> take care of you. <laughs> don't stop until you hear the crack, man. I needed a gratitude adjustment, and as we start this series, I just think it's possible that you might as well. Maybe you're in a relationship where you take more than you give. You need a gratitude adjustment. Maybe you're someone who feels entitled to other people's efforts rather than humbled by their generosity. You need a gratitude adjustment. Maybe you're a Christian who does more criticizing of other Christians than you do celebrating of them. You need a gratitude adjustment. Maybe you're a skeptic who is quick to point out that you doubt the existence of a good God because there's so much bad in the world while constantly ignoring all the evidence of his goodness that's around you. You need a gratitude adjustment. You need a gratitude adjustment. And the good news is Jesus is looking at you, not with condemnation or judgment, not with anger, but he is looking at you with compassion. And maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, well, that's easy for you to say, you probably have it all. So for the last three months, I've been in physical pain every day. I have three herniated discs in my lower back. One of them is torn, and it's pressing on a nerve, a sciatic nerve, that runs down through my leg. So pain shoots down through my leg, into my shin, into my foot. My foot falls asleep some days. It's just pain. It keeps me up at night, wears me out during the day. And a lot of you have a lot worse things than that going on, so I'm not complaining. But I just figured I'd point out I don't quite have it all. But you know what I'm learning? Gratitude is a painkiller. It's a painkiller. And I'm learning that if in any moment I can find at least one thing to thank God for. In fact, and I don't know, and God can do whatever he wants, so I'm not, this is just my theory. But my least amount of pain is when I'm up here talking to you. And I wonder if it's because I'm so grateful I get to do this. <laughs> like, you, if you knew my story, you'd be like, he shouldn't be allowed to do that. I'm so grateful I get to do this. And I'm so grateful for you. And I'm learning that if I will find in any given moment something to thank God for, it could be the simplest thing. Sunshine. Thank you, God, for sunshine. You say it's raining today. Thank him for the rain. 
It's raining, but it's about to be 70 degrees. Come on, somebody, thank God. If I will find in any moment, I've had some moments lying in my bed at night and the pain was so excruciating I couldn't sleep and I began to thank God for the pillow up against my face because I don't need to have a pillow. God didn't have to do it, but he did. I've got a pillow I can lay my head on. Thank God. I thank God for you. I thank God for my family. You say, you don't know my family. Thank God for them anyway. I thank God. I don't mean to brag, but I thank God I've got enough money to buy almost anything I want at Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. Thank God. Thank God. Cobb salad is a little steep, but other than that, I thank God I can get the three-strip meal. I can get the three strips by themselves anytime I want. Thank God. Thank God. Just needed a gratitude adjustment. Just needed to go to the chiropractor and have God do his work in my life. And you say, well, I, if God would do big things in my life, man, I would thank him as well. But how do you even know if you don't start practicing with the small things? Did you know that's how God sets us up for more? He gives us a little and says, what do you do with that? He gives us a dollar and says, you're not getting five until I see how you handle one. <laughs> Greedy or grateful? He gives us one scoop of ice cream and says, we'll talk about two when you show me how you steward one. He gives us socks. And then says, we'll talk about that sweater you want when I understand how you handle the socks. That's how God works. And some of us are wondering where God is. And he's saying, well, I've stopped by several times, but you were busy complaining, so I figured I'd come back later. And we're still not done complaining, so he has not come back later. And he's waiting for us to get to a place where we go, God, I'm so thankful. Here's the last part. Watch this. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, this doesn't make any sense because he was already healed, right? So why would Jesus say, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you when he was already healed. I think it's very possible they were two different healings. I think one fixes outsides and the second fixes insides. And I think there's another level. Jesus is amazed, not that one comes back, but that nine didn't. Why? Because gratitude withheld always cheapens a relationship, but gratitude expressed always deepens a relationship, which is why gratitude is about coming back to God. Gratitude is about saying, God, you've done something and maybe the smallest thing on the outside of my life. I've got air to breathe. I've got, I've got a car to drive. I've got a, a home to live in. I've got somebody who loves me. You didn't have to do it, but you did, so I'm going to come back. And when we come back, what happens is God, who did the work on the outside, wants to do a work on the inside and transform us and change our character. What is the most significant sign that we're really living out our faith? I think you can make the case that it's our gratitude level toward God. It's not experiencing miracles because all, because all 10 of these guys experienced a miracle. It's not a prayer we pray when we're desperate because they all cried out to Jesus. It's not about how religious we are because the one who came back was the least religious. It's about our daily gratitude level to the God who has been good to us. Gratitude is coming back to God. So week one, what's the next step? 
Well, maybe you're thinking as we kick off this series, you know, my life is hard right now. And what I need is some problems to be solved. I don't need a gratitude adjustment. I need a situational adjustment. I need some things to change in my life. I don't know what to thank God for. What if you decided, it's so simple, but what if you decided I'm gonna thank God for this series because it gives me an opportunity since it continues next weekend to come back to God? And what if you just decided, hey, I think Jesus has been looking at me and I've been looking everywhere but at him. I'm gonna look back and I'm gonna come back to God. I'm encouraging you. If you've been searching, if you have an emptiness in your life, if you have not found fulfillment, if you, if you know you need something more to come back as we continue this series, see what God does in your life. And then maybe you're here and you've been waiting on God to do something in your life, in your situation, in your circumstances. You've been waiting on him to open, you, open doors for you and he's waiting on you to move in his direction. And it's time for you to take steps of faith. Come to Plugged In. Get in community. You hear us talk about it? Get in a group. Get plugged in to what God is doing on the J team. Serve. Use your gifts. The grateful life is a generous life. A gratitude adjustment puts you back in a posture of giving instead of that empty, dead-end posture of taking all the time. And so I'm challenging you. If you've been living the selfish life, start living the give-it-away life the generous life, the grateful life. Start serving, make a difference with what God has given you to make a difference with. And you'll be amazed at how, how he continues to give you more. And then maybe you're here today and you're already living the grateful life at all of our locations. You, you're living this out. And you are someone who expresses your gratitude intentionally and consistently. Today is a reminder to just keep coming back. You have an opportunity this week in your slot and spot. That's how we describe a time on your calendar and a place you go to read God's word and to pray. You can start every day this week with gratitude. I challenge you to do it. Gratitude invites God into our day. Gratitude is like a bulletproof shield against the pessimism of the world around us and the brokenness that tries to invade our lives. Gratitude gives us the mind of Christ. It gives us the eyes of Jesus. So I'm challenging you every day this week, even if things in your life aren't what you want them to be, start every day by thanking God for what he's done because gratitude is what happens when you come back to God. And if you would say week one of the series, man, I'm in, I wanna live a grateful life. Will you just shoot your hand up all over the room here in Newark and Hokesson online, shoot it up high toward heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you today grateful. God, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for your power in our lives. We thank you for everything you've done. We thank you for everything that you haven't done yet, but we're believing you to do. We thank you for the things even that you will leave undone because you know the absence of them will create the presence of something good in our character. God, we just give you thanks. Come on, would you do that with me right now? God, I give you thanks. I come back to you. I'm not gonna be a person who just keeps walking, ignoring what you've done. I come back to you today. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for looking at me with eyes of compassion. I give you thanks, and I'm gonna live by your grace the grateful life. Let me take just a moment more. As I always do every weekend, it's the most important moment in our gathering because if you're here or you're watching online right now, you're at any of our locations and you don't yet have a real relationship with God, 
You don't have to believe anything you're not ready to believe yet. I'm not here to twist your arm. You could just come back. You don't have to buy it yet. But if you've been searching and God is drawing you to him and you realize even in this moment that Jesus is looking at you with eyes of compassion, that he wants to forgive your sins. It's why he went to the cross. It's why he died to cover everything that you can never pay for. And if you realize that in this moment and you want a real relationship with God, I'd love to lead you in a very simple prayer to take that step. So I want everyone with me just to open your heart up, big to God, all of our locations, wherever you are right now. And if that's you, and you wanna put your faith in Jesus today, whisper out a prayer of faith, something like this, Jesus, today, I believe in you. I know you're looking at me right now. You're not disgusted. You're not uncomfortable. You're not disappointed. You're looking at me with eyes of compassion. Say this, Jesus, you died for my sins and I give my life to you. And if that's you, while everyone around you stays focused on God, if you would say, I wanna be included in that prayer today, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, will you lift your hand and just hold it up high? Come on, all over the room, yes, yes, yeah. In Hokesson, hold it up high. I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. Online, let us know. Type the word faith in the comments. And then everybody together, come on, let's give Jesus all the thanks, all the praise.